richplanet.net forward slash shop. Uh, an ideal present for somebody you hate. Uh, okay, now, one subject I have not explored in any great detail on Rich Planet is the Ukrainian conflict. Today's guest has recently written a book on the issue which is entitled Ukraine, the Just War, or the alternative title How the West Was Lost. Now, he was last on the show over three long years ago, back in December 2019, and a lot has happened since then. I'm delighted to welcome back Dr. Nick Collistrom. Welcome, Nick. Great to be back here again, Richard, after so long. Yeah. All right, then, so um, the Ukraine conflict, we've heard a lot about it, and um, just to put one general disclaimer on, on the information from my own point of view, is I've never been to the Ukraine, I haven't seen anything firsthand, so we, we rely on sources which aren't as reliable as, let's say, going to somewhere and, and, and sticking it out with your own eyes and your own evidence, right? So, but but we, we're trying to sift through the information as best we can to get to the truth. Um, all right, so um, I want to go through your book in chronological order that, that you've written it, um, just so that we cover a lot of detail. Um, I, you know, I don't just want to skim over things, I want to go through it in depth. Um, so just, firstly, the title, A Just War, you, you believe that Putin was justified in, in launching, well, he doesn't call it a war, it's special military operation. Um, so if we just start with, with some general comments which are covered in your first chapter. You say that no nation on earth is so good at brewing up reasons for war as the UK. Do you want to just comment on that? Yeah, it's a terrible tragedy that Europe is drifting into a war that's in no way benefits it at all. I mean, it had a future of peace, prosperity, friendship, and cultural exchange. All you had to do, Germany, is switch on the gas pipeline and refrain from bringing NATO right up against the border of Russia. That's all it had to do to maintain peace in Europe. And... Uh, it was absolutely in its own interest to, to do that, okay? Now, Britain is a country that almost inexorably, hor horrific, inexorably, it needs war. You cannot imagine this country without a, a demonised enemy image to hate and, and without who we're going to fight next. It is the terrible flaw and downfall and ruin of our culture that uh, cannot live in, in, in peace. Uh, and uh, we've seen, you know, this century, whenever America wants to bomb some country, Britain always supports it or constructs a reason for it in, in a horrible manner. And we're all puzzled by this. If you talk with your friends, why is it that they, our country goes along with it like this? And you've written about this extensively in some of your other books. Um, so what we're going to do, we're, we're going to go through in some detail the sequence of events that led to the war and, and also, well, a special military operation, whatever you want to call it, and also things that have happened during the special military operations. We're going to go into that in some detail. Yeah. Um, but just to mention first, what, what people see in the media about the Ukrainian conflict, you describe it as a comic book narrative. Yeah, the just, comic book narrative, which comes over from America, is that big bad Russia invades Poland Ukraine for no reason and we've got to defend Ukraine. I mean, that doesn't really bear any relationship to what happened. Uh, what happened very briefly would be that for eight long years uh, Ukraine, Kiev has been bombing its own people in the east Ukraine, traditional Russian culture which has been there for a thousand years it's where the Russian culture began around Kiev and east Ukraine and that people have got a perfect right to live there after the neo-Nazi coup arranged by Victoria Newland and the neocons in um, 2013 uh, 
the, the, the junta that took over started uh, kind of demonised the Russian country, which traditionally half of Ukraine spoke Russia, and actually started bombing them. And they'd been bombed on and off every other day for about eight long years, right. and Russia had to come in. It, it, was, it was being stepped up in this crucial time right. of February of this last year. Yeah, sorry to interrupt you, Nick. We'll come on to that detail, yeah. Um, you, you support the view that Russia has respected international law throughout as much as it possibly could in order to achieve what it, it sees as it was a just campaign. Yeah. And, um, or limited military operation. Yeah, it had to means. stop this program of genocide. That is what the West is endorsing. It's an attempt to exterminate an ancient culture, not just kill people. Random bombing of civilians and, and of towns and villages in the Donetsk region has been going on yeah. and all through the Minsk rooms everything it did not stop yeah. so Russia has, has taken steps and they invoked the article one of the UN Charter to justify trying to protect Russian citizens in the east alright so that's sometimes described as ethnic cleansing and the, the yeah, other well, reasons yeah, yeah. the other reasons for the um, operation were that there's these bio-warfare labs which we'll come on to and also the Ukrainians wish to reacquire nuclear weapons um, and you mentioned the Minsk Accords there we'll come on to that as well yeah, primarily I don't think they knew so much the bio-weapons bio were there they discovered that's an amazing discovery and totally vindicates what they did uh, massive US bio labs all around the place absolutely forbidden prohibited by the Biological, biological Warfare Convention uh, but, but uh, the, 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 the intention to join NATO was intolerable for Russia and it was said it was intolerable it stated in December of the previous year that that, that, that could not be tolerated and uh, well you, you say in your book that NATO exists to stop friendship developing between Germany and Russia and this is the, the, the pipeline is linked that's to that. That's very well. much the crux of the whole issue, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, um, I mean, nothing would promote world peace more than right. friendship breaking out between Russia and Germany. And the pipeline w would have done that. That was, the whole, that was a major point of the pipeline. It would have gradually catalyzed the development of friendship, and NATO would have become more and more ir irrelevant if peace and friendship developed with that pipeline flowing of cheap, reliable energy for Europe. Yeah. The, the danger of peace breaking out, as you describe it. Um, now, you also mentioned, this is just more general stuff before we get into detail, uh, uh, that NATO has destroyed the following countries, Yugoslavia, Afghanistan, Libya, Iraq and Syria. Yeah, uh, it wasn't the whole of NATO in, in all of those, but, but NATO countries and elements of NATO, uh, for example, Afghanistan, I think all the NATO countries piled in there, some, some sort of group bonding exercise. Um, it's important to get away from the idea that NATO kept the peace in Europe. Uh, the peace in Europe was kept by the Warsaw Pact for about 30 years, which had existed. Uh, 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 that was in between East and West, uh, uh, and, and stopped NATO going right up against the border of Russia, and once that dissolved itself, Russia's had the impression there'd been a promise that NATO wouldn't go any further east, but of course it did. It just it, it moves east uh, because of this dreadful dichotomy. Europeans may think NATO is there to keep the peace in Europe, but America has other ideas. America is always driven by its neocon... Yeah, sorry Nick, and you described NATO as a headless monster. So, can you explain that? 
Well, it, it, it keeps... Uh, we, don't, why, we don't know who's controlling it. No, and why is it bombing other countries? What's it doing in Afghanistan? What the hell were 30 NATO nations doing in Afghanistan but bombing the locals? Was there some uh, alleged that Osama bin Laden was there or that he'd done 9-11? It's, it's, there's no meaning. And who, who, who today knows why it bombed Yugoslavia around the clock for several months? Uh, who can remember the reason? Was it that Yugoslavia didn't want to join NATO? Was that the reason? Uh, so... It just seems to be, it's, it's forgotten the reason for its creation, which was the North Atlantic Treaty in 1949, which, which defined it as a defensive alliance. After the Second World War, it was to stop the nations of Europe fighting between them anymore. That was the basic idea. Uh, and it's, it's forgotten that. It's lost track of that. Uh, and it's as if the, the, the American side of NATO got bored with this alliance that never attacked anything. In a way, you could say from their point of view, it wasn't doing anything. Well, I'll just bring in the point of... Um the dollar has been the global reserve currency, so you think that one of NATO's hidden motives is to keep the dollar as much as possible as the global reserve currency, and it started wars to bully people who, who, Absolutely, who suggested yeah. that they don't want to use the yeah, dollar. Yeah, like Iraq and L Libya, uh, nations get pulverised if they try and move away from the dollar, mm. and the all-important question now is, is Russia and China being obliged by this event, this is why it's such a transformative event for the whole planet Earth, they're moving away from trading in the dollar, uh, and can they be destroyed? Well, actually, no, they're, they're too large to be destroyed, uh, and the notion of what, the whole plan of what this uh, all was supposed to do, which was to uh, sanction and break the economy of Russia, has all gone wrong. And Russia's economy is thriving, and it's far more Euro Europe's uh, economies that are tanking. So it's an astonishing uh, <laughs> failure of objective in that respect. You mentioned the size there. I mean, Russia, people seem to forget, is the biggest country on the planet in terms of surface area. Yeah. Um, what is the point of trying to start a war against Russia? You cannot win. There's absolutely no possibility of Russia losing this Ukraine war. Mm -hmm. uh, and its economy is not being destroyed. Uh, I mean, the, the, the neocons planning all this thing saw back in the 1990s that the Soviet Union was smashed uh, and, and it did sort of fall apart and it almost disintegrated. And they don't realise how it's all changed now. Russia's got far more strength now and inner integrity. Uh, and the people of Russia totally support Putin and this war because they realise that it's a war for their survival. Right. And there wasn't an alternative to this war. Right. That's the strange thing. All right, just a few more general things before we get into more detail. Uh, it, it, um, the size of Ukraine, it's a, it's a reasonably large country. Uh, it's about, what, twice, no, two and a half times the size of the UK. So it's a medium-sized country. Right. And um, just to mention the history, the, 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 the map in your book, uh, Ukraine in 1654, added in 1922, added in 1954. So can you, can you just comment on that? Well, it's very much, very much a patched-together nation where the, the different groups are not going to get on well together. You call, if you want, you can call them Slavs in the East and Poles in the West. They're culturally very different, uh, and uh, some people would say, pessimists say it's a country that can't really exist, uh, but uh, it, it was trying to exist before that 2013 coup arranged by America 
the different bits were trying to get, and they wanted to get together. Zelensky was elected on an overwhelming peace mandate to uh, to negotiate and make peace with the, with the East, uh, and obviously he turned around against that. But the people of Ukraine did want peace and integration, but America did not give them that choice. So this map in your book uh, shows quite clearly the complexity of languages within Ukraine and, and you, you know you can see there's a, a polarity there between East and West yeah. with what you call the, the Slavs and, yeah, and the, half the, the Poles. Russian. Russian. Zelensky was a Russian speaking Ukrainian he had to learn Ukrainian after he was elected mm -hmm. you know, and now they're trying to get rid of the Russian language and pull out all Russian books from schools right. and eradicate a very ancient culture. All right, well, let's let's move on to the first chapter of your book now and uh, how it began. I just want to mention, because this is important, that Gorbachev, after German reunification, got a verbal promise. So just tell us the importance of that, Nick. Yeah, well, ha, he thought he could trust NATO somehow to move not an inch further eastwards. Uh, and uh, on that basis, the Warsaw Pact kind of dissolved itself. Uh, and uh, so Germany was reunited, uh, and uh, the thing is, NATO kept expanding. More and more countries were persuaded to join NATO uh, uh, with the illusory idea that joining NATO gave them security, uh, as if there was a threat from Russia moving west, which is what Stalin did, you see. Uh, he did want to move across into Europe. Uh, and the modern Russia has got the task of trying to show that it does not have any such ambition and it's not a threat to these nations. And uh, so the question, if Europe is going to survive, if Europe is going to survive, if we avoid World War Three, it will involve some sort of neutral central... Uh, number of countries such as Czechoslovakia um, uh, and Serbia and so on right down the middle uh, and it's called the Three Seas Initiative now it's kind of revamp of the old Warsaw Pact can that stay together as an independent neutral part of Central Europe I mean that is the hope and can they understand that the military they need is defensive, not offensive. There's a military training you can give to your country help making it safe from attack, which does not threaten your neighbour. Yeah. <laughs> not point yes. nuclear missiles at your neighbour. Yes. Uh, that, uh, that is the challenge, if, if Europe wants to survive. Yeah. So you would say that the promise given to Gorbachev when, in the early 90s, uh, has been completely um, overridden? Yeah, that's, that's what created the war. That's why Russia sensed the inevitability of war coming. But Russia couldn't see the way of avoiding this, this movement eastwards of NATO, which uh, has the male fist of uh, America. It's, it's all, America's always got a war policy, always got a war policy to break up Russia, always got the neocons with a crazed, mad dream of being masters of the universe. Uh, 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 but that is kind of hidden by Europeans pretending, oh, NATO's a defensive alliance, you know, we're not threatening anywhere, which is what Stoltenberg will, will say. So can we jump to 2010? There was an election, I think, in 2010, and Viktor Yanukovych, is that right, was legitimately elected. Right, okay. right. So he was, he's from the east, he was from the east, right. the, 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 more, the more Russian-controlled right. side of Ukraine, yeah. Yeah. and peace reigned, 
between 2010 and 2014. Yeah, he was uneasily trying to hold together the different parts of, of Ukraine, which, uh, however well however it managed, uh, he was trying to do it. And there were Europeans who wanted to maintain that. That's the meaning of Victoria Newland's fuck the EU phrase that she used, that she wasn't interested in that European compromise. She wanted this total... Uh, let's call it, call it West Ukraine uh, culture to take over and, 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 and demonise, delegitimise the ancient Russian culture. Right. It, things happened in 2014 where Yanukovych's um, leadership was challenged in an election, right? Now, so he was overthrown, you believe, in a coup supported by the USA, um, it was a very violent coup. Assassins were hired, shooting guns, shooting at civilians, shooting at police. So can you just go into that in detail, Nick? So there was, you've, there was a false flag shooting of 49 protesters blamed on Russia. The yeah. president fled the country to yeah. Russia. Yeah, he did. So, yeah. so, this, so as I understand it, there was a very narrow victory for Yanukovych, is yeah. that right? Yeah, he, he was he, back in power. The Americans spent about, said to spend about $5 billion on this colour revolution. That's what they call the colour revolution overthrowing other people's uh, governments uh, and, and uh, Yanukovych had to flee really for his life in Russia uh, and uh, Victoria Newland stated two weeks in advance who was going to be the next Prime Minister so, so the person who she said did then become the Prime Minister in other words it was a, a US installed puppet government so this is Proshenko Proshenko yeah right so they installed Proshenko and you believe he was illegitimately installed. He, he, didn't well, yeah. the, he didn't win the election. No, no. So, because, so from, yeah. then, from that point on, the country is not democratic. It's been run by, you Correct, could say, yeah. a dictatorship. Yeah, and uh, also the army was then being trained by America, and the army had authentic Nazi roots. So it was a neo-Nazi uh, brigades, like the Azov Battalion. And from them, they were trained by NATO and, and America, that was why when Zelensky came along, he was elected on a, on a peace, peace pledge, and he then got informed by the military, look, if you enact this, you'll be dead, we'll, we'll hang you. Right. Um, so he did not have any secure, his own security protection, and the military told him that he had to pursue, continue the genocide agenda. Right. Well, let's just jump back to 2014. So in March 2014, civil war broke out in the eastern Ukraine. And there's been troubles for there was trouble for eight years after that. Oh, well, that right? I won't quite call it. I'm not sure. It's still a civil war, uh, both in Crimea and in East Ukraine. <coughs> they were told Russian was no longer an acceptable language, and so forth. So they 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 took the view they wanted to be separate from Ukraine. Yeah, there was a, a civil war. I couldn't describe it as that. Um, and uh, contrary to what you read in NATO sources, Russia was not supplying armaments, and Russia did not initiate that. Russia, in fact, wanted Ukraine to maintain its integrity and, and unity. Um, so the conflict did break out with those eastern oblasts, parts of Ukraine, uh, that, that uh, where a totally Russian culture traditionally existed. Right. Yeah. So I've got here on May the 2nd, 2014, uh, anti-coup protesters were burned to death. Eight days later, the provinces declared independence from Ukraine. Right. I think that was part of the Maiden riots, wasn't it? When they, yeah. they, 
saw refuge in, in a building and that was then set on fire. So a lot of them were burned to death, yeah. The CIA uh, director visits Kiev and then the president launches. This is President um, Poroshenko. Uh, Poroshenko. He then launches an eight-year war with NATO involved. Is that yeah. or an eight-year campaign against these provinces? Yeah, I'm not sure war is the right... I think it's more a, a genocide program. Right. They are being shells continually. Uh, and and they're infested with landmines, uh, and uh, that just continues. And I also reckon that they cut off from water, electricity, gas services, and maybe also banks. So, so in, uh, Ukraine was treating it as being a separate country. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, you can't just cut off electricity and water and keep bombing region and then insist that it's part of Ukraine. Mm -hmm. It seems to me that uh, once that program has started you've got to accept the legitimacy of them not wanting to be part of Ukraine. Right, so in 2014 you've got this conflict going on, this genocide going on and people were trying to bring it to an end so this is when in September 2014 they sat around the table all sides sat around the table at the Minsk yeah. Uh, drew up the Minsk Accords. Yeah, that's so it was Minsk Park 1 area. and Minsk 2. Yeah. So just explain... It's ter terribly important. that uh, I think it's Russian or Putin's initiative. Russia was wanting to build these pipelines to Germany. It's called the Pipeline of Peace. And was dreaming and hoping of European friendship, right? So it resisted the calls of the little states, Luhansk, Donetsk, to be uh, become part of Russia. Uh, uh, whereas it had accepted that for Crimea. It said, no, no, you don't want to become part of Russia. Instead, please sign these Minsk Accords. Uh, and this, this kept the unity, the overall unity of Ukraine, but it gave a separate, special independence to these... Uh, so what did the Minsk Accords say, Nick, in, in, in summary? What were they asking each, all the sides well, to do? Most sides had to withdraw from the border a certain distance, especially any, any rockets. If you had 50 kilometre range rockets, they had to be that distance away from the border. Yeah. Uh, so it would basically stop, stop the war, stop the conflict, move a certain distance away from the border. Um, and I think Ukraine had to agree not to, not to join NATO. And, and that was basically it. Uh, and and that, that maintained the... The, the unity of Ukraine. That was Russia's attempt to maintain the right. unity. Now, um, so after the Minsk Accords, um, you write in your book that Poroshenko did not sign, he signed, yeah. but without any intention of sticking to them. And Angela Merkel, would she have signed them as well? Yeah. Yeah, so, so she signed uh, them. Mind. And she's also admitted yeah. later that that they had no intention of honouring the Minsk Accords. Is yeah. That, is that yeah. right? So they're yeah. signing international agreements of peace yeah. with, and, and then later admitting that they had no intention of sticking yeah. to them. Yeah, and not only uh, signing, but these were ratified by the U.S. Security Council, passed unanimously, U.S. Security Council, endorsing these Minsk Accords. And the three main people in Europe who signed them, Poroshenko, Angela Merkel, and the French former Prime Minister, uh, his name, those three, along with R Russia, signed those accords. And mm. all three of those European uh, heads of state, mm. all three of them, they come out and say, oh no, we had no attention. And, and Merkel has actually said that the building of this massive billion dollar pipeline, which is going to supply huge amounts of gas from Russia to Europe, right, that R Germany were just playing along with Russia all along and they never wanted the pipeline. She's actually said words to that effect. Uh, 
I, I think I think I think she implied that. Yeah, uh, I, I think I'm, she's got I, a hand up her ass. Uh, uh, well, well, someone's well, hand up her well, ass. Well, hang on. Uh, everyone was. She was the. She's polls show. She's the most respected politician in Europe. She, she polls show that, and everyone thought the culmination of her career was going to be switching on the pipe, pipe, pipeline, the pipeline of peace, yeah. prosperity, mm. plenty, mm. Uh, and instead, oh no, no, we've got a war instead. No, kind of peace breaking out. So those eight years, it then starts to dawn on us, I think it only dawned on us this 22, later I've been training the Ukrainian army all this time, and they've been digging these terrific fortifications, that's where the war is now raging, the boundaries of, 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 of Donbass, uh, these terrific dug-in fortifications, and all the process for uh, arming the Ukraine army, such that it was it became the second biggest army in Europe, I think, after Turkey. So, so NATO was doing this all these years in a covert, secretive manner. Right. All right. I, I well, mean, can you imagine any worse deception than that? Yeah. So, since 2014, um, over the over uh, an eight-year period, 14,000 Ukrainians have been killed in, in eastern Ukraine. Yeah. Uh, and they begged Russia for help to stop the slaughter. Yeah. Uh, we had the election of uh, Zelensky in 2019, yeah. uh, promising peace yeah. and to honour the Minsk Accords. Yeah. So he was elected on that basis, was yeah. he? Yeah, totally. Absolutely. Yeah. Honour the Minsk Accords. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Right. Uh, but you would say he's just a US puppet. Well, he's a clown, comedian, you know, cocaine uh, addict. Uh, uh, who's uh, sort of ma made good? Uh, I, I mean, I would say he's like a one-man travelling nightmare to right. invoke World War Three in Europe right. these days. You, you state here that for the UK media to suggest that Russia was not incrementally provoked into defending uh, both Eastern Ukraine and its own national interests is to turn the truth on its head. Yeah, that's a quote from a, 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 a journalist. Uh, I, I think that is that, that is very, very true. So throughout this eight-year conflict, Russia yeah. were clear, abide by Minsk 1 and 2, uh, don't attack the East, and denazify the AFU, and do not NATOize the Ukraine. Yeah. Right? Um, can I just point out that, um, that those are perfectly legitimate war aims, except for the, I always feel, uh, denazify your army. Uh, however much you dis dislike the philosophy of your neighbour, that, that is not a legitimate, as such, a legitimate ground for war, invading another nation that you think they've got Nazi traditions, right? But the other two, I think, are. I think it, it is legitimate to try and defend the, the East, and it is legitimate if it's the only means you're available to stop American missiles being put on your doorstep. Right. Uh, right. So we'll just... We'll, we'll come forward to uh, summer 2021 now, before Putin's special military operation was launched. Right. So there were nine NATO exercises in right. Eastern Europe. Just yeah. tell us the significance of that. So this is towards the end of this eight years of conflict. Yeah. Uh, NATO are do, doing all these exercises. Which well, it's an amazing number of military exercises grinding on a whole lot of them in East Europe uh, around the Black Sea um, <coughs> of, of different nations getting together with war games and uh, huge exercises. And... Uh, it was a very dangerous time for Europe. The danger was that the pipeline was being completed. Mm -hmm. And if the pipeline was switched on, uh, what future would there be for NATO? So all these uh, 
drills were, uh, I mean, the top people would have been mulling over what to do about them, getting ready for whatever was to come. Yeah. All right, so if we can just go forward now to 2022 and right. this the start of the special military operation right. and just how that right. progressed. So on we've got, so you've got a graph here, Nick, in your book, which is the number of explosions in the Donbass. Yeah, that's a terribly important graph. Uh, OSC, Operation, Organization Security Cooperation Europe, is an official graph showing the number of explosions uh, and how it increased a hundredfold in the Donbass, this is the eastern region. It was going on for about 10 a day. Now imagine that in your country every other day, or, or more as continued, 10 or so shells going bang daily just imagine that as an ongoing program and then that suddenly increases around the 17th of february massive increase up to uh, a thousand uh, so it's a hundredfold increase literally right uh, and this is almost unreported in the western media uh, and there's a huge uh, ukrainian armed uh, military on the borders of Donetsk as if they're about to invade so, so right and then on the 17th of uh, february after the escalation Zelensky states his intention to reacquire nuclear weapons. I think that was a few days later. Let's just go over this, this, okay. this sequence. After the 17th, those little mini-states ask Russia, uh, they ask to be again to join the Russian Federation. Yeah, that and was on the 21st of February 22. Was it? 21st, yeah. okay. And then Russia, the Russian Parliament accepted... So, sorry, sorry, Nick, I'm sorry. That was Russia recognised the independence of the Donetsk... Re agreed. So, uh, very region. quickly, they recognised the independence. Now, why is that important? Important because Russia, as it were, abides by international law, so, so it recognised the independence, and immediately it's done that, the states then asked Russia for help. They invited Russia in. Would it help them? And it then did so, and it came in on the 24th. So there's a swift sequence of events uh, 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 around that time. And let's just point out that before that, for two months before that, if, if I hope some of you remember, around December and January, the news was constantly telling us that Russia was about to invade. Mm -hmm. And we were puzzled by this. Nobody knew, well, Russia had plans to invade. What's going on? And, and RT seemed puzzled by this. Well, what's this about Russia going to invade? Uh, and uh, we then discovered this this huge increase in uh, uh, in, in the shelling of the, of the East uh, forced Russia's hand and, and it made it inevitable that, that uh, the war would begin. So when Russia says it recognises the independence of Donetsk and uh, Luhansk, yeah. Right. Uh, um, does that mean it's going to take them in to be part of Russia or not? It, it, well, it, 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 it's a. It's is, that, a is that annoying the Ukraine side? Well, of course it is. Yeah, but it means that uh, Russia will then consider an application to to, jo to join it. Let's consider what happened with the Ukraine. Right. So, so Russia would. So if if it's recognising their independence, yeah. they, they can then elect to join Russia. Yeah. Right. And, and Ukraine doesn't want yeah. that. So that so that was. Is, would that not be provocative by Russia to recognise the independence of those two states? Well, let's consider that their argument is that they had they were co-signatures of the Minsk Agreement. Right. Those two little states. So they're arguing, well, so we are already recognised in some degree as independent nations because, along with France and Germany, we co-signed that agreement. Right. Uh, and uh, obviously they've got centuries of tradition of being Russia and part of Russia. This is the whole historical background right. long before Ukraine existed. Right. So from their point of view, they've got a perfect right to, uh, to, to not be part of Ukraine and to want to join Russia. Right. 
And just to point out that in those states, there, there's quite uh, important industry and farming, yeah. uh, wealth creation in those Absolutely, that, that yeah. area. Mar Mariupol was a huge steel industrial uh, uh, area, and it could hopefully will become that again. And uh, in the old days of the Soviet Union, there's a quite advanced technology to do with the space program and so on that went on right. there. So is that not a legitimate reason for Ukraine not wanting to lose those states to another country? I'm <laughs> well, just playing yeah. devil's advocate a bit. It totally is, yeah. Well, they should have thought that before they started bombing it and uh, uh, denying Same their Russian culture Russian, yeah. uh, uh, and so on. Uh, could it make it in comparison with, uh, with Crimea here? Well, why did Russia recognise Crimea right away? I think it's back in 2014, wasn't it? Or, right, or, or, or 15. Right. Uh, Crimea wanted to be part of Russia because it's, it's a larger area and historically it had existed as an independent state apart from Crimea. It had been for centuries been part of Russia uh, and uh, it had a tradition of existing as an independent nation uh, and uh, I think well, in international law they've had more of a right to declare its independence right. uh, and ask to be part of Russia and there's also strategic reasons to do with the Black Sea and who's controlling the Black Sea right. whereby uh, it was pretty damn important for Russia to, to, to have that uh, uh, that right. ocean. So Putin was trying to stick to international laws when he when he's dealing with this issue. Yeah. The, he, he invoked Article 51 of the UN Charter for self-defence. Yeah. Right. And is there another part of it which is um, a country's self-determination, the, the the right to be able to for, 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 to be able to choose, uh, you know, determine your own. Leader, yeah. Leader. I, I think that's the first article of the UN Charter. Better right. get this right. right. <coughs> That, that, that he invoked is the right of the people of eastern Ukraine to determine their own destiny. I think that's the absolutely right. first part of the UN Charter. Well, the, 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 just to interrupt, the argument against that, is it not that, that they're not actual countries so they don't have that right? Is that, that, that is the, uh, the, 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 the crucial thing. Are they large enough to be separate nations? That, I believe, is why Russia didn't recognise them for eight years. Or as it did with Crimea. Uh, right. Uh, right, I see. So it's only after this intensified yeah. military bombing of, of, of those states that it said, well, I'm gonna rec we're going to recognise those as separate countries yeah. so that we can protect yeah. them. Yeah. Ultimately, so that we can protect them. Yeah, yes. but also the way Ukraine had been behaving for eight years, not giving basic amenities to the citizens of the countries as, as well as bombing them, I think that it means de facto they are being treated as separate countries. Right. That's what it seems to me. I see. Um, just Again, just to step back a second, on the 17th of November, Biden said that he somehow knew that Russia was going to go in. Yeah, yeah. So this is because they knew they were going to provoke them. Exactly, yeah. And uh, you get something similar from Boris Johnson. Uh, that they knew the escalation of bombing was going to force Russia's hand, uh, and they decided to do that. Right. So when Russia started their special military operation, by the 24th of February, the, the, all the Ukrainian airfields were destroyed. Yeah, suddenly. Could I just, before that, let's just go back to this part of Russian culture. They had, they had a minister there, a member of parliament, who had certain prophetic powers, a reputation of prophetic powers. Uh, and uh, he said, this is the previous year, 21, he said... Uh, I would like to predict peace for Russia, but I'm afraid I can't. I've got reputation telling the truth, and Russia will have to go to war again, and it will happen on 22 to 22. Mm -hmm. 22 to 22. Mm -hmm. Now, I would say that the whole thing, the magic number, the whole thing did revolve around that 22nd of February, 
in historical fact, what we just looked at, from the 17th up until the 24th when Russia goes in, I would say that prophecy uh, was so, pretty damn good. So we'll come on to this at the very end. Is there a higher power? Right. So you think you think that the two, 22 to 22... Uh, uh, has been set in stone by someone years in advance of it. Well, I don't know about that, but it's a bit like a sort of magic number. I mean, mm. I think in this 21st century, we get used to the empire using special funny numbers, and this does look quite a potent event to me, especially right. as it was publicly prophesied in Russian parliaments. Right. Uh, and he said, just let me finish, he said, it will make Russia a great nation again. Mm. That right. That's what he said. Right, so let's come on to uh, Putin's um, special military operations. Uh, let's, uh, I'll try and uh, explain it in my, in my own understanding. Right. Is that he's, he's, he's not trying to kill or damage any civilians at all on either side. His, his intention is to stop the capability that Ukraine has for bombing the eastern regions of right. Ukraine. So, right. so in order to do that, let's just say that the missiles have been fired from 100 kilometres and they're right. coming in. He right. has to destroy everything up to 100 kilometres away. And, right. And, right. and he also has to destroy the capability of where those arms are being kept, right. wherever that is, in right. munitions places. So he's bombed right. the airfields, he's, he's bombing the munition places, yeah. and he's anything within a certain distance of the, of the border is then taking control of that on the ground yeah. to, to get rid of those, to get rid of the capability. So he's having to go in a certain distance in order to stop the capability of the shelling. Exactly. And, and, and that's then going to protect those people. So, so it's not a war. That's, that's, that's his intent. He, he had no intention to kill anyone, although obviously people do get killed in these right. conflicts. And, and also, let's notice that people complain, or Russia complain, that it was going so very slowly. And the Russian advance was very slow because it was seeking to avoid civilian casualties. And the Ukrainian army was using human shields all the time and using hospitals and uh, civilian buildings to hunker down in. So uh, there's a, a lot of people felt the Russians advanced. Well, why is it so slow? Can't Russia do right. this more quickly? And that was the aim. Right. Now, after we'd launched this, right, so that the mainstream media in the West were completely lying about about what I've just explained. They were they were saying that the Ukraine's been invaded. Yeah. Yeah. And that there's yeah. there's fighting everywhere. Right. Yeah. Right. So and then there was a video that somebody made. They went to Ki- Kiev and they filmed around all the streets oh, in, yeah. in, in March. Yeah, that was and good, they, they, yeah. There was nothing happening. Absolutely nothing. No, it's just right. normal Cause, life. Because he hadn't targeted this, this no. the, uh, cities where there's people living. Except that there were loads of sort of actors and crisis actors around the station they found at Kiev giving interviews to journalists, you know. Uh, but, but in the actual city, um, there was nothing much happening there, yeah. And chapter three of your book is called A Flurry of False Flags. And uh, it's, it's quite an incredible chapter <laughs> to read this, Nick. Uh, so I can list them here. So these are all what you might call psychological operations or, right. de- or deceptions or, or, you know, just the information is, is, is not what's real. So, so you've got incidents in Maripol, um, Bucha, um, Donetsk railway station, the shopping mall in flames, right. uh, there's various others. So let's just, let's just go through them right. and just say a few words on each one. So Mar- right. Mar- Maripol first, what happened there? Maripol. It was about a bombing of a theatre, and they blew it up themselves, the, the Azov battalions, and, and claimed that Russia had been shelling it. I think right. that was the main thing. Okay. Yeah. So in Bucha, this is where there was bodies lying on the road, is that right? Yeah, it was very important, the Bucha massacre. Uh, you see, Russian troops had been up to fairly near Kiev uh, as a feint. 
at the start of the conflict to look as if they were planning to invade Kiev in order to uh, get a whole lot of the Ukrainian army stationed there, ready. And they're actually, what they're actually doing was in the south southeast. And bear in mind that the number of Russian troops was actually much smaller than the Ukrainian army. Uh, so uh, around Bukha is 100 miles from Kiev. The Russians have been there for about a month. And they then left. Uh, I think it was the end of March, about March 30th, the Russians left. And then the uh, Ukrainian army came in, and a few days later, I think April the 1st or 2nd, the mayor of Bukha proclaimed, everything's okay, we've now, uh, Russians are gone, and we're now, um, you know, Ukraine is, is back there again. And then I think a day after that, the atrocity pictures appeared with corpses strewn along the streets at regular intervals, obviously laid out there, obviously laid out along the street. We photographed and you photographed from the air and that was then the atrocity story. Oh, look what the Russians have done. Well, this only appeared several days after Russia had gone and it was noted that the people lying down had the white armbands, which was a kind of indication of pro-Russian sympathisers. Uh, so, uh, and also the, the bodies were not smelling so they were freshly put there and so it's pretty obvious that there had been a massacre of all pro-Russian sympathisers which is what the Azov does the Azov battalion was known for doing that but also notice from RT there were food food parcels you've got convoys coming in Russia with food convoys to feed these people in the conflict and you don't see that reported at all in the western media and so there's a pathetic sight of various food parcels together with these dead bodies of the massacre and I thought that the way in which the West used that book and massacre was just right. so appalling. Right. So, so this is war propaganda. I mean, it's fairly standard practice that during a war, the first thing that you lose is the truth. But what people don't realise is that it's, it's, the, it's the information that they're being given in the Western media that is that war propaganda. They don't realise they're being fed a completely false narrative no, no. Right? again and again and again just no. to demonise no. Russia. No. Right. Yeah, and there was there was a, there, was, there, there was similar propaganda with this shopping mall in flames. So what happened yeah. was Russia were targeting the munitions areas of, of Ukraine uh, to knock out their capability and the missiles. Now they don't miss. The, the, right. the targets very rarely miss. Right, uh, right. You, know, you can fly a drone or whatever and land it on, on a pinhead, even right. with even with domestic technology. Right. right. So yeah. a military missile isn't going to miss its target. Uh, so it it, it it smashes up this, this this warehouse or whatever, and next door to it is a, is a, a supermarket yeah. which happens to catch fire. Which had been closed down for several months. Right, which wasn't even open. Yeah. And they, they, again, in, in the Western media, they said that uh, Putin had, had, had bombed uh, children in this shopping, yeah, sh sh yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, shopping centre. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I yeah. mean, this was something that was... There's a very good guy, Earl Earl Grey, online, who, who investigated this whole thing. You see, the Western media show a picture of supermarket flames and uh, uh, there's a car park, and Zelensky saying, oh, it's a dreadful massacre, one of the worst massacres ever. Uh, and uh, then you home in on the picture, there's no children or women to be seen at all you just see burly guards walking back and forth uh, military types and an empty car park in front and uh, uh, it turned out that the um, 
website the supermarket showed it had been empty for several months and uh, all, all the flames up and down the supermarket you, you, you don't get that kind of fire from a, a, a just a missile strike uh, and then it turned out behind that supermarket there was a big missile uh, a, a depot some sort of depot that had been struck yeah. so this is obviously some sort of cholesterol damage accidental uh, and so it was Ukrainian um Ukrainian munitions probably supplied by Britain and America that were causing the damage no, right. not, not a Russian right. missile strike let's come on to another one this is um, in um, Yelenovka um, where Ukraine bombs its own Azov battalion after being captured by Russians and killed yeah, 53. That's incredible, isn't it? Right, so this is a prisoner of war camp. Prisoner so, of war camp, so, yeah. so Russia have captured some of the enemy. Yeah. It's put them in a camp because yeah. it doesn't want to exterminate them. Yeah. It's going by the international laws yeah, of yeah, yeah. whatever. Yeah. And then Ukraine bombs. Uh, uh, and they, they were telling stories. This is why Ukraine bombed them. They were telling stories about the way they were treated. This in, is a, this in, in Ukrainian soldiers, Ukrainian soldiers were telling the Russians yeah. um, negative stories about yeah. their own... Yeah, and they were rather surprised how well the Russians were treating them. Uh, and and, and uh, that could not be tolerated. So so Ukraine, blown, in their sleep, they get blown up and killed in their sleep, um, a, a prisoner war camp. Killed and, 53. Yeah, obviously it gets blamed on Russia, but... Uh, locals investigating this um, I think it was evident that it was done by the Ukraine government right so they'd be worried that those prisoners are going to defect and and tell their story yeah right all right uh, now I'm just going to name a few journalists here because we have had people in Ukraine trying to get the, the truth out about what's been going on there so oh, I'll just right, mention yeah. Alina Lip yeah and uh, Graham Phillips yeah Do you well, want to there's, mention? there's a two I'm very best you can Alina Lip has the advantage it's quite beautiful right she happens to be a tourist uh, and then she decides to start interviewing the locals in East Ukraine mm -hmm. and just gets them to talk about their life uh, and uh, <laughs> she discovers that she's German. The German government is prosecuting her in her absence, saying, oh, that can't be true. No, it's because the journalists are totally banned from going there. No regular journalists at all go to East Ukraine, go to Donetsk for, for years. So she's making these videos, and she's being prosecuted in her absence, and they clean out her bank account, they confiscate her bank account, uh, and she's guilty because claiming that what she's reported is somehow, she's somehow making it up. Uh, it's just... Uh, and, and what about Graham Phillips? Um, well, he's an, he's an English guy, uh, a, a, a bit similar. He, 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 uh, he talks to people, gives honest reporting, and uh, I, I think his bank account was also confiscated, wasn't it? Right. Uh, so right. so these, these are examples of very courageous people who are simply concerned to tell the truth. I just want to cover a little bit about uh, some of the Ukrainian weaponry. Yeah. Um, they've allegedly used uh, cluster mines and, and petal mines. Um, so just explain what that is, Nick. Petal mines are very small little uh, landmines. Mm. Not enough to kill, but they will blow your foot off. And they look kind of pretty. The kids are able to pick them up. So, so uh, children around the city of Donetsk were sprinkled. It looked like a butterfly, you know, or, or a... Or a they they like a butterfly. painted green and... Yeah, painted green. Or brown. Uh, and uh, so uh, Russia were trying to go around clearing them up, but it's, it was a totally diabolical thing to do, and it's got nothing whatever to do with winning a war. It's just 
part of an ongoing genocide program. Right, so the mainstream media in the West claimed that Russia dropped them. Well, of course. Uh, how do we know who dropped them then, just to play devil's advocate? Um, you believe that the Ukrainians dropped them? Yeah. Is, it, um, is there a... Is there a I mean, where are they made? Are they, are they, well, they... I mean, the simple answer is that Russia came into this whole conflict in order to protect the Donetsk area right. and would hardly be shelling them, therefore, with prohibited uh, cluster bombs. <coughs> right, and there was another incident at a nuclear power plant, Zaporizhia. Do you want to tell us about that? Yeah, this was a huge nuclear power plant. It was the biggest nuclear power plant in, in, in Europe. And uh, it was being shelled by Ukraine... Which is incredibly dangerous. I mean, if that blew, you'd get a cloud of nuclear dust over drifting across Europe. Russia managed to get some atomic UK International Atomic Energy Authority uh, group team to come over, and, uh, and and while they did that, I think Ukraine, a bunch of Ukrainians tried to invade across the river. It's just on a river, this plant, and um, Russians managed to stop them. This this team, International Atomic Energy, they, they felt they didn't want to get politically involved, which was kind of impossible, really. And uh, so they saw at first hand what was happening. They could see that Ukraine was trying to shell the place. Um, and uh, they then put out a report. <coughs> and the report basically blamed Russia and urged Russia to stop bombing the, the the nuclear power plant, which right. is uh, quite outrageous. I mean, okay. they must have known perfectly well it wasn't Russia. So as the special military operation is underway, yeah. um, there was an attempt at a peace deal in, in March 22. Yeah. So yeah. Just tell us about that. Um, uh, this has just come out quite quite recently. Uh, as a Israeli guy, I reckon he has several hours, uh, former, former prime minister, I reckon he had uh, several hours talking with, with Putin. And there was a peace deal on the table. It was broken in Istanbul, and it involved uh, Zelensky agreeing not to join NATO and Putin saying... Uh, we, we can accept Ukraine being militarised uh, and on the basis we'll look at a peace deal. And that was about to go ahead. And then Boris Johnson flew Just up. Just interrupt there, Nick. <laughs> Which side were, they, were these states going to be on in that peace deal? Were they going to be brought into Russia or not? That, that wasn't clarified. That, that right. wasn't specified. And okay. that's obviously the only important question. Right, all right. Uh, but but uh, that was, as it were, left to the negotiations. Um, okay, then Boris Johnson flies in and he says, no, 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 don't negotiate. You've got to fight on to the bitter end. So this is, this is the US-UK, the axis of evil, fully dedicated to eternal war, uh, saying this war has got to fight to the last Ukrainian um, uh, and, and the peace deal is off the, off the table as if Russia could be beaten. It, it's, right. it's carrying this fantasy that, that Russia can right. be beaten, which cannot happen. Right. Which was the assassination of the daughter, the daughter. of the very prominent philosopher Duke, Duke, in, Duke, in yes. Russia. That was Duke. on the 20th of August 22, right. which caused a lot of upset. Right. So this was an alleged uh, Ukrainian operation so, so is, within Russia. Yes, yeah, so expanding the conflict is not to do with winning a war. Uh, it, it seems to have a purpose of expanding the conflict. Right. Yeah. Then on the 26th of September, that is when the this massive Nord Stream 2 pipeline was right. blown up, right. we think, by the, by US or UK by the or US. some special Primarily forces. Primarily by the US, but, but yeah. involved, yeah. Yeah. We've also got these longer-range missiles. So Putin... 
brought his special military operation to an end then. Yeah, it became much more, more, more terrible with the bombing of uh, electricity centres throughout Ukraine and much of it is now plunged in darkness. Um, uh, so it certainly did widen the conflict uh, and this is to do with more and more Europeans promising more and more weapons coming to, to Ukraine that um, the, the conflict has widened now throughout, throughout Ukraine um, in, a, in a very, very dangerous manner as if it could could become, you know, World War III. Right. So can we go on to September 2022 now, Nick, and the referendums that were held in eastern Ukraine? Um, well, we'd all have liked to have heard more detail about this. We'd all love to see some book of... There, there are 100 independent observers uh, following these... Um, following these uh, elections, okay? So this was organised by the Russians to get the people to vote on whether they wanted to be independent or join Russia? I think it was organised by the by those oblasts, the mini-states themselves. Right, okay. Now, it's, terribly, uh, it's terribly important that it's not controlled by Russia, right. uh, as NATO will allege. Okay. Uh, and just the same goes for Crimea when they held their election. You get astonishingly high proportion, 80 or 90% of the electorate vote to <coughs> join Russia. And uh, there are no election booths or election polling stations because those would just get bombed. The bombing continued throughout this election. And they had buses travelling around. They'd say stop at a school and then the people would come to that school to vote. So it had to be mobile uh, uh, because of the continual bombing, uh, which the population, which is quite amazing. So it's quite an amazing example of democracy in action. And, uh, and, and there's a legal question over whether those regions are allowed to decide their own fate in a referendum due to the size. Is that, is that right or...? Well, the question of whether they're allowed to exist as independent states, which is a matter for international lawyers, like, for example, Kosovo uh, wanted to break off from Yugoslavia and Germany recognised it, which, whether or not that was right, um, it, it was felt that um, these, these people had a right to self-determination. Right. Um, so the people have voted to become part of Russia well, fairly well, unanimously. Well, fairly unanimous, yeah. Uh, and it's unanimous coverage in the West, without exception, said the elections were fraud mm -hmm. or uh, illegal. Right. Fraudulent or illegal. They basically all said that, uh, and they didn't really explain what was fraudulent or illegal uh, about them. The point is, this is democracy in action. It's the will of the people being expressed. Uh, and it seems to me that... Uh, which side of the war you're on depends on whether you believe in democracy. I think that Ukraine has absolutely abolished anything remotely resembling democracy. They've got a total kind of fascist dictatorship right now, which has absolutely abolished all opposition parties, abolished all dissent in the media, arrested the main opposition candidate, abolished the traditional church. Um, uh, it's a total dictatorship they've got there. Uh, and they also refuse to acknowledge democratic elections held by these peoples in East Ukraine. Right. So on the 30th of September 2022, uh, Putin has all of his politicians gathered there and he makes this 
long speech where I advise everyone go and watch it because it summarizes a lot of what we've been talking about. And then they have this ceremony where they sign in these four states right, yeah. to become part of Russia. Part of Russia, right? yeah. So and they all shake hands at the end of it. Yeah. So as far as Russia's concerned, those states are now part of Russia, yeah. those four states. Yeah. So are you saying that NATO and the West doesn't recognize that then? No, no, they don't. So you've no. got, so you've got four states now that think they're part of Russia, yeah. and Russia thinks that as well. Russia said yeah. they're part of our country, yeah. and the West is saying, well, we don't recognize that. Right. So, so, yeah, so yeah. Right. this is this is where uh, I'm. Those of us who believe in, in peace, uh, peace, and uh, that uh, can rational discussion take place? C- can you imagine NATO countries discussing? Do you believe if you believe in democracy? Believe in democracy? Those countries voted. Why do you think their vote is? Is it legitimate? Uh, or, 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 or not. Uh, so there's a profound international question about integrity of a nation. You know, can it break up? And I think on this segment, it can and it has broken yeah. up. And we must recognise that this is de facto. Um, these are separate nations. Right. And I think we should recognise that international law is very much been a European thing primarily, uh, and America, I don't think America's ever really believed in international or, or really taken it seriously. Uh, America is more into the sort of macho action and domination, and I don't think America's ever really interested in international law in that sense. Just to go back to Putin's speech when he's instigated all of this, and, and, and he, 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 he sort of he explains a lot of the history leading up uh, and, and the, the struggles that the people in those regions suffered over the eight-year period. It's all in that speech. Right. right? Now, I will include that speech in the next part of the show. Uh-huh. So, so after after this show, if you click next, right. I'll put the whole speech in there. It's Fantastic. 45 yeah. minutes long. Yeah. I think... I think they're awesome. I, I do think those speeches are pretty damn awesome. Right. You know, and... And, 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 and totally it, has it, did, did, did they show it in full on the BBC? Well, I, I doubt it very much. Yeah. Um, um, I, I think the best part of my book, actually, is quoting those Putin speeches. I so, mean, they're real classics, I think. Right. So, so since then, since that's happened then, yeah. uh, is, is NATO bombing those states now? Yeah. Because surely yeah. there'd be nothing left of them if, if, they'd, if there was a full-on... Well, it, it's just, it has been ongoing. Uh, I don't think Russia has yet succeeded in its mission of stopping that that bombardment process. Right. So, so it's, it's very tragic what's happening. Right. That, that, uh... All right. Well, let's come on to um, uh, the, the chapter that you've entitled Euro Doom, which is covers a lot of the uh, economic uh, oh, oh, yeah. issues. Yeah. Uh... Right. That, that, uh... All right. Well, let's come on to um, uh, the. the chapter that you've entitled Euro Doom, which is, covers a lot of the uh, economic uh, oh, oh yeah. issues, yeah. Um, uh, such as in March 2022, just after the conflict started, uh, Russian gold reserves were frozen. Therefore, Russia, uh, in, in, in response to that, said, right, well, we're no longer accepting foreign currency for any of our goods. Yeah, I think yeah. it's 300 billion Russian uh, Russian finances. So they've just um, stolen three hundred billion pounds worth of Russia's gold, then effectively, or said uh, you're not uh, having it back. Uh, so equivalent of, of gold, yeah. yeah. They tried to steal that, uh, and uh, I think that's very much rebounded on them. That uh, countries are seeing that uh, the, the the Western banks aren't so safe now. If that money can just be impounded, yeah. don't forget that's, that same happened to Venezuela. They just stole Venezuelan gold. 
um, I think Afghanistan has also had its gold reserves stolen. So that's leading to a loss of trust in the West and a whole lot of Eastern and Southern Hemisphere countries are now looking at the the new BRICS type alliance right, and yeah. wanting to join BRICS instead. Yeah. So Putin said that he will only accept rubles for gas. Mm -hmm. So what that's doing is it's threatening the dollar, isn't it? It's it's moving away from yeah. from the international reserve currency. Yeah. Um, and this is allowing Russia and China to de-dollarize. Yeah. Um, all right. Which is. It's extremely important for the U.S. national interests to keep the world running on dollars. They don't want to lose that, do they? Yeah, that's what the U.S. military is for. That's what U.S. military bases all around the world are for. That's the purpose, is to ensure that people keep trading in dollars. And normally it can intimidate nations. But uh, it seems to have got, might have got reached a stage now where it just can't do that anymore. It can't just bomb the hell out of a country, because, like they did with Libya. Libya wanted the gold dinar. Um, and uh, you're getting... <coughs> four nations in particular in the east China, Iran, India and Russia which are increasingly coming together and finding a common interest mm -hmm. and let's hope there might be a wonderful new cultural development this century of, of those countries um, as oil from Russia starts moving eastwards uh, Europe doesn't want it anymore <laughs> uh, had cheap reliable natural gas from Russia. Oh, no, no, I didn't want that, no. Well, just to make a point about that, about the fact that Russia has built this massive pipeline with Europe or Germany, yeah. um, which was almost finished. Um, yeah, yeah, it was finished, it was ready yeah. to be turned on. Yeah, it was, yeah. And it gets blown to smithereens. Yeah. And people try to blame it on Russia. I mean, and how the, crazy the, is the, that? The yeah. point being that... It's their gas, so they've got a tap at their end yeah. that they can turn on and off. Exactly, so if yeah. they want to, if they want to not supply the gas, they just turn the tap off. Oh, exactly. So yeah. why would someone who owns the pipe and the tap blow it up? You know, it's just a ridiculous argument. You know, plus the economic problems that that would bring to Russia. The, the, it's, 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 an, it's, it's an economic yeah, advantage to yeah. be able to sell all that spare gas right. that they've got. Well, there's this big knockout article by legendary journalist Seymour Hersh uh, about how America planned, the time America planned the whole operation. Mm -hmm. uh, and... Uh, with collaboration, it seems, from Norway. Is it Norway? Uh, where the pipeline is, is flowing, or it might be Denmark, is flowing very near them. It's fairly shallow water, so it's quite easy to see these operations. There are various NATO operations around there are, are clamping these huge explosives onto the side of the pipeline and then having a remote control device to detonate them. And they chose the, chose the 26th of September... <coughs> Just let me say, I'm surprised no one seems to comment. Victoria Newland and her husband, Kagan, are key neocons who've got the whole uh, project from the US and American century going and then this neo-Nazi coup in Ukraine, okay? And it's, it's uh, Kagan's birthday, 26th of September, so sh she chose it as a kind of... She categorically stated that it would be destroyed if Russia entered Ukraine. Victoria Newland did. So that is a bit of kind of birthday present to her husband. And I also might possibly mention, if we're allowed to, the small detail that it's the Jewish New Year, 26th of September. New Moon. Okay. New Moon, Jewish New Year. All right. Well, just to make go back and make a point about the dollar, you say in your book that the dollar is effectively... Dollars have been withdrawn from a bank account, which is trillions of dollars overdrawn. Yeah. So, in other words, for example, Ian Crane once said that you can buy 
uh, American debt off China for 10 cents in the dollar because because so much money is owed by America to China. Yeah. Yeah, in other words, the, the, there's nothing back in the American dollar. There's, not, no, there's no, nothing tangible there behind it. The, mm. so, the, so the only reason why people have faith in that dollar is purely because they have faith in it, no other reason. It's just yeah. because that they will mentally still use it. Yeah. Once faith is lost, that's it. It'll go right down the swanee. And yeah. as Putin said in his speech, you can't eat money. It doesn't provide food or it doesn't provide anything. It's fiat. It's not actually worth any, anything at all and it's hugely overdrawn. A dollar is based on this ever-expanding black hole of unrepayable debt, about $30 trillion, uh, and uh, that is more than the total amount of money in existence. So, so it's, it's, it's the, the way the money is set up, the amount of debt ever increases. Uh, and uh, the question is, how long can it keep going? I'm yeah. trying to get. And no See, country would voluntarily use the dollar unless compelled to. Right. Other countries have money based on real value and real stuff um, and goods. Uh, and when they trade with dollars, they're getting something which is just printed out of nothing yeah. in return for their real value and real wealth. Right. And this is something that we said at the beginning, that one of NATO's purposes is to try and keep the majority of countries on the dollar. Right. Uh, yeah. and, and wars will happen if, if that, or invasions or whatever will happen if countries will go against that. Yeah. I mean, just hypothetically, let's just say that America issued all of the currency that's owed. It just magicked it out of thin air like they can, right? Uh -huh. Right. So presumably, what, and all that debt was paid back, let's just say, presumably what would happen is the value of the dollar would go right down because it would be in massive supply then, wouldn't it? So you just have massive inflation of the dollar. Uh -huh. Do you see what I mean? So they can't, I don't know, I mean, I'm not, I'm just no. speaking hypothetically, that, 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 that it can't ever be reset, in other words, because no, it's so no. much old. No. Well, this is a very historic time we're living through. If, if the dollar will, will collapse, if it will happen, that will totally change the, uh, the, the, right. the, the world we live in. And, um... Let's hope it does, yeah. So, so let's come on to the BRICS now. So the BRICS, which is referred to as the new G8, yeah. um, that's, in terms of GDP, it's bigger than the West. So it's a bigger right. group right. Of, of countries right. that, that are pooling their resources and trading right. with other currencies. I mean, are, they, are the BRICS using the dollar, or they, have they completely uh, gotten rid of it, or are they using rubles, what, what, or, or, or the Chinese yen? Well, what? I think the BRICS International Bank has been... Uh, has been drawn up. Uh, so Putin was involved in that? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, there is a question of what sort of uh, form the finance will take. Uh, and uh, I don't think that's yet settled. I think that is, that is developing. <coughs> but certainly it is, it's a Pacific alliance. It's an alliance of countries that don't want war and don't need war. Mm -hmm. They want prosperity and cultural exchange. Uh, and uh, they are they are finding ways of trading together without the dollar. That's the meaning of their existence. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, and India is very equivocal here. It's absolutely central and very equivocal. They still do military you know, operations with America. Um, uh, uh, but, but I think they're moving closer and closer to Russia now. So the BRICS countries, just to list them again, is Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa. But there are other countries that are supporting the BRICS 
countries, which is Iran, Indonesia, Turkey, and Mexico. And that's been referred to as the new G8, yeah. which, as I said before, has a higher level of GDP than, than the West. Yeah, I think it's a tremendously exciting time, especially with, with, with Chinese technology uh, developing and uh, advancing and these exciting high-speed Chinese trains, Magnus Olev, uh, I, I think a new culture could, could blossom in, in, the, in the East. Uh, and uh, Europe is basically finished. Europe, the good times are over for Europe. It has self-destructed by its own absolutely free choice. Uh, and uh, it's... Uh, yeah, well, we've got lockdowns, unnecessary lockdowns. Um, we've got the fact that they don't want uh, cheap gas from, from Russia. They blow the pipeline up. Um, you know, it's so hilarious to see people encouraged yeah. to blame the increase in gas prices on Putin. I mean, nothing could be further from the truth, Nick. No, no, right. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's sort of going to bring economic decline to Europe, as you say. When the BRICS banking system was set up and when it was signed, yeah. the date for that was the 16th of July 2014. Right. The day after that is when MH17 was shot down. Yeah. And you believe that was a direct retaliation That's to set up that banking yeah. system. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, let me say that. MH17, I think lost didn't realise the significance of this happening over the Donetsk area, uh, just in around the Donbass. Uh, that it was happening there it was just around the time of the Minsk agreements being signed uh, and it was giving us a demonised story of terrorists from, from uh, you know, Russian-supported terrorists from the, uh, the Donbass shooting this plane about five miles up uh, and it was a cloudy sky they couldn't see it how could they possibly have done it uh, and uh, it, it was... It was riddled with bullet holes. It was planes strafing them uh, that, that shot it down. It was a NATO operation. Right. So there's two main camps of thought, really. One is that it was shot down um, by Ukrainian aircraft, and the other that the Russians sent some missile from the ground. Yeah? The, so there was, the, the, a, there was the, a Dutch inquiry, which, which in, in your book you say was rigged. rigged it was a yeah. rigged inquiry, yeah. and Russia was blamed for the event. Yeah. But you believe it was all... all Russia wasn't allowed to be part of the inquiry. Russia had loads of data, telemetry data and so on from the sky, and that it could have used. Oh, no, no, you, you can't uh, you can't be part of it, because you've got to take the blame. Exactly as with the script on narratives and Navalny. Oh no, you can't be part of the inquiry, you've got to take the blame. Uh, and and uh, so it's preordained blame and guilt. And it's a very fascinating, complicated story in uh, and it, uh, Malaysian plane, and it's probably very related to the Malaysian plane that vanished over the Indian Ocean, if you remember that. And there might have been the same plane. There's, uh, I mean, there's a whole lot of fascinating detail there, and it's a great shame that we're not allowed to discuss it. But uh, everything about the way that plane flew was phony and suspicious, took off Schiphol Airport, uh, n n n nothing was, uh, and it flew over a forbidden part, a war zone that no passenger planes were allowed to fly over. Everything about it was, was phony, and then Russia gets blamed, and uh, that was a major part of the, the build-up of the Let's Hate Russia narrative, uh, that, that uh, plane crash. Okay. Uh, and it was a NATO Kiev operation that, that did that. Uh, just in terms of the, sort of the, the doom facing this country, uh, we spend 50 billion a year on, on the military these days, and that's, that's soared up and up. Well, well people found it so hard to pay their bills, military spending goes up and up, and that's about £2,500 per British taxpayer. And 
do you ever hear on the media or anywhere anyone complaining about that, that amount being spent or when they're struggling to pay their bills uh, you, you, you don't there's a, there's a horrible tradition in this country of, of accepting militarism uh, and uh, as if Britain's got some sort of right to bomb other nations uh, and uh, it's just so awful uh, and, and it's, it's kind of ruined I think it's ruined Europe really the, the, as if war is the answer to any problem they've got yeah, I mean, we can mention some of the things that is is affecting Europe negatively in terms of um, prosperity. There's the ridiculous energy policy in terms of the all of this green policy. That, 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 that's obviously pushing the price of energy up. Um, you've got the completely unnecessary lockdowns where they close down half of the economy for a whole year. Yeah. And you wonder why. And then, and then but, print a whole load of money but based on the imagine, people. an imaginary virus. And then wonder why there's inflation. Uh, I mean, it's, it's so hilarious. They even try and blame the inflation on Putin. Yeah. It's uh, uh, nothing but, but As you say, the, the, the two years of lockdown it's coming back and hitting this country yeah. now yeah. Uh, and it's compounded with this um, new war, war mentality, war fever that's seizing hold of people. Alright, Nick, let's um, come to some other issues now. Uh, uh, just covering the next chapter in your book, which is the British push for World War Three. Now, you mentioned two things in this chapter, the Institute for Statecraft and the Integrity Initiative. Right. Do you, um, do you want to mention those? Well, these are two sort of phony right-wing sort of ha ha hate groups set up to generate anti-Russian hate and, and anti-Russian stories and demonise or destroy the career of any politicians deemed to be not sufficiently anti-Russian. I think that was set up around about <coughs> 2015. Um, nobody knew Russia was supposed to be the new enemy until about 2017 or, or 18. Theresa May made a statement about uh, that we were now anti-Russian now, uh, and, and suddenly we, we'd all assumed that the Muslims were the, were the bad guys, Islamic terrorism, and, and wasn't that enough, bombing Muslim countries? Oh no, no, that's over now. We're now... Uh, now anti-Russian, uh, and endless anti-Russian stories are generated. Uh, and these, those two were very much involved both in the Scripple and in the Navalny narratives. Those are two massive fabricated narratives with this alleged Novichok uh, story. You and you think that in general um, there's been a shift from fabricated Islamic terrorism um, possibly with the, the latest one being the Manchester in 2017 yeah. and after that point it becomes more, well, we've got to hit Russia uh, Yeah, uh, I thought that's tremendously dramatic the way, uh, beginning of 2018 you get the scripple narrative with the fabulous idea of Russian poisoners coming over to... Yeah, viewers can watch the uh, show that we did uh, on that from this link. We got. Yeah, so it suddenly changed. And, and, and what happened to Islamic terrorism? How come it suddenly disappeared? Uh, and throughout Europe, you don't hear any, any more of it. And it's like in, the, in Orwell's 1984... That the citizens all have their five minutes of hate against Oceana or something, and then it suddenly changes. They're given a different image, different enemy. Uh, they all have to hate. Uh, the, the enemy just changes, and, and that's what suddenly happened. And uh, it was so well timed. I mean, uh, also the whole COVID narrative. People were just seeing through the COVID story uh, before this new war began. If you remember, the end of 2021. 
uh, people were just beginning to feel this COVID narrative was totally phony uh, in, in January uh, in January 22, uh, and suddenly this war war appears. Right. If we can go back to the geopolitics and economics now, Nick, uh, right. and just right. mention that is it the chalice gas from Iran? So this is Iran and Russia. Um, there's 40 percent of the Earth's natural gas. Right. And there's some gas field in Iran that Russia are involved with. This vast resources of gas. Yeah. 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 These are enormously resourceless countries, which have been impoverished by brutal sanctions. Iran, for basically no reason, except that they're on the list of seven nations that need to be destroyed. Rumsfeld was after after 9/11. Rumsfeld was given a list of seven nations that need to be destroyed, and Iran is the last on the list. You know, Syria, uh, and uh, I mean, there's nothing that's actually done wrong at all. Um, so the, the world's economic centre is shifting eastwards with this, um, well, we'll come on to some questions that... Yeah, I think that's a tremendously exciting development that's happening now. Yeah. Right. Um, now, let, let's just come on to that now, which is the, this term, the multipolar world. Right. Are you familiar with that? And, well, and the all-important difference between the two sides, the titanic conflict going on now, Russia and China believe in a multipolar world, different nations, different centres of power, held together by respect for international law and adherence to United Nations principles, versus the US-UK, uh, basically global world domination. It's, it's imperialism. And, uh, and, and it involves what they call rules-based international order, which involves doing what, what they're told, or what, what you're told. Right. Uh, so I'd say those two uh, views are forever incompatible. So, so you're optimistic about the the other pole, let's say, not the Western pole, the other pole that's sort of um, wanting that sort of monetary system and Absolutely, is yeah. probably going to be more economically... Prosperous. Yeah. yeah. You're, 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 you've got to, you, you feel good about that. You, you, yeah. You, I mean, so what I'm going to do is I'll play a devil's advocate now. Just, I'm just going yeah. to mention some of Ian Davis's work. Right. For example, right. He states here that there are some very odd anomalies about the conflict. This is the Ukrainian conflict. Right. I suggest indicates a much wider context for the war. For example, the EU left a loophole in the sanctions that enabled Luke Oil to export Russian oil as refined as refined red diesel to Ukraine via Bulgaria, which the evidence strongly suggests has fueled UK Ukraine's war effort. So in other words, there's resources being allowed out of Russia to fund the Ukrainian side. Why on earth would the Russian government allow this trade to continue during a war with the Ukrainian government? It is fueling the supposed enemy. Well, um, does it have an option on that? Is that... Uh is going through some third party. Uh, right. I, I don't know, Nick. But let me come on to some other points. He says, my point is not so much that Russia's war isn't justified, but more that it is being used as a fulcrum for the rebalancing of global power and both commodity and financial flows. Well, we agree with that. Uh, we are being sold the idea of the multipolar world order as if this is some sort of salvation from the World Economic Forum-based Western unipolar model, which is essentially what you're arguing, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. And um, Ian Davis says it isn't. Russia is just as eager to roll out CBDC, Central Bank Digital Currency, uh, SDGs, which is the Strategic Development Goals from the, from the UN, which has got all of the green agenda in there, um, a new IMFS, International Monetary and Financial System, JABS, 
digital ID, biosecurity, and all the other worst aspects of what we might call the New World Order. In fact, on many of these issues, Russia is a global leader, right? So what Ian's saying is that this splitting up into two or more poles, let's say, um, entities of power, is just one step to having one new world order. They, they know they can't go, they know they're not powerful enough to win over the whole world yet. So uh -huh. they're going to create two camps and let them let them have their, let the leaders uh, reside over the, their, their, their patch, if you like, with the BRICS and then with the World Economic Forum, the two, two separate, but then bring in all of this control through what Ian's just listed there, central bank digital currency, strategic development goals. I mean, the central bank digital currency, the biosecurity and the digital ID, once they've all sides have got that in, you know. So what it's, just, it's just a totalitarian nightmare. Yeah, so in other words, Ukraine's just a stepping stone yeah. to, to the multipolar world, and then eventually... We're gonna. We will. We'll have. They, in other words, there's people who aren't. There's people sitting who aren't on either side. Mm -hmm. In uh, you know oligarchs who who. In other words, Putin's not at the top level. Uh huh. Right. Well, I'm just. I'm just putting that to you. Right. Well, in a way, it's, it makes you wonder what, what are the soldiers fighting for then? People are giving their lives if it's all somehow prearranged. Well, I'm not saying that, they do, that those soldiers don't believe what they're doing, and maybe even Putin doesn't believe what what he's doing is right. I, I mean, having watched Putin's speech, I would say he's genuine and he's not in league with some higher power that's going to about bring about a new world order maybe he, he, I think he sees the Russian state as completely yeah. separate and wants to maintain sovereignty yeah um, well let I, me say what I think the conflict is about that um, <clears throat> Russia is the last white Christian culture on the earth possibly Bulgaria uh, and uh, Europe doesn't like this so, so Russia is maintaining a traditional culture which is dissolving and disintegrating Europe and Russia will not endorse a sodomy. I think that's absolutely central. Uh, and that is regarded as part of, you know, our, our beliefs and so on in, in Europe. So I think there's a profound, there is a very real uh, struggle going on in terms of what kind of world we want to live in. Right. Well, let me interject there, uh, make a comment on that. Uh, because in Putin's speech, He's very clear about the whole LGBT thing and about how he's completely against gender changes, right, which right. I think most people with a brain are right, against yeah, cutting yeah. people's body up to make it try and make it into something that it's not. Right. right? Yeah. So he's completely against all of that, and he's right. he's against LGBT. Now I don't think he specifically said we're against, you know, anal sex or anything. Um, well, the Russian but, position is it allows. Couples, homosexual couples, they don't get persecuted in Russia, uh, they, they, they can't get married, and they can't promote it, and especially they can't influence minors, uh, and they can't be taught in schools. Yeah, yeah, and then Putin mentions that, that, that he thinks that the West has, yeah. has got a sick, or, or, or it's orchestrated in order to affect society in a negative way for a specific purpose, to dumb right. them down, or whatever right. it might yeah. be, and Putin's quite, he's quite straight about that, he's quite, he's quite you know... Um, he, he just sees it as complete nonsense, yeah, the, the, yeah. The, um, the gender reassignment and all of that, um, and I would agree with him. Um, but, it's, you know, it's, it, it, I can't say that that's, that issue, that issue 
um, you, 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 you think that Putin's protecting Christianity and, and certain values? Well, well it, it's, it's Russian culture. Traditional Russian culture is, is intact and it's holding on to its past traditions. And I think that enabled it to uh, survive and flourish much better. I, I think Europe is losing any trace of anything it believes in, mm. apart from sort of automation and so on. And you mentioned that it's convenient for America to have a war in Europe, like the Second World War, where, where oh, yeah. it, it benefited, so it, it doesn't want the war in its own backyard. Yeah, it benefited enormously from both world wars, um, uh, and uh, having been able to start a third world war in Europe might be... Uh, might be very convenient for America. It might destroy the main competitor of Europe. So it would be, be quite convenient for America in many ways. And, uh, yeah. Um, all right, then, Nick. Um, I really appreciate you coming in and sharing all of your views. It's fantastic as usual. And if you're interested in Nick's book, you can get it from richplanet.net. I don't know if that's going to show up on the green screen. Um, Ukraine, the just war. Uh, all right, Nick, uh, and we're going to do another interview uh, covering one of your other books, but we'll, we'll do that in a little while. Uh, thanks for watching. Uh, I'm Richard D. Hall. Remember, believe none of what you hear and only half of what you see. And I'm Richard D. Hall again. Good night. And good night from me.